Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves, hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. I would like to begin by paying my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I am coming to you from today. Land where at Brainwaves we tell our stories, and land where the traditional custodians have told their stories for many, many years before us, and continue to tell their stories. I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, and acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners who are listening today. Hello, welcome to Brainwaves uh, on 3CR 855am, 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kaylin, and today from the Brainwaves team we have Susie who will be speaking with Professor Adrian Esterman about long COVID. I'll hand it over to Susie now. Hello everyone, my name is Susie Leach and today we are pleased to have an eminent professor whom you will likely know on our show to discuss a topic that is increasingly relevant since SARS coronavirus 2 otherwise known as COVID-19, came into our lives over three and a half years ago, namely long COVID or COVID-19 syndrome. Professor Adrian Esterman has been a considered public voice of scientific reason throughout the whole pandemic, and we have all seen him on our TV screens regularly. Adrian Esterman is a professor of biostatistics at the University of South Australia. The professor has an honours degree in statistics, a master's in medical statistics, a PhD in epidemiology, has been a research fellow and also worked for the World Health Organisation for seven years. The professor was a principal epidemiologist for the South Australian Department of Health and has been a managing director of a market research company. Professor Esterman is an academic mentor and is the author of over 400 publications and counting. Interestingly, we share similar tastes in music and movies, which is a rarish occurrence for me. Now, I just want to say a thank you before we start to Evan and Kaylin for their technical support. Hello, Professor Adrian Esterman, and welcome to Brainwaves. Good afternoon. Um, Professor, first of all, what is your favourite movie? Well, I've actually got two. I hope you don't mind. No. The first is Blade Runner. And that's the original version, not the um, follow-on version. I just thought it was such a a novel, wonderful uh, depiction of what the future might look like. It just blew me away, especially the music. Yes. And and, and then my second one um, is is totally different. It's called Never Let Me Go. So Never Let Me Go is basically based in an orphanage or a boarding school where young kids are growing up and they're not allowed to fraternize with each other. But of course, two of them fall in love. And it turns out during the movie that they're actually clones and they're being bred for their organs in case one of the original people gets sick. Yeah. Well, Uh, so in the end, it's a very 
very sad story. Probably it is a sad got, story. Not good if you've got clinical depression. Yeah, or thought, I know. But, but nonetheless, nonetheless, it's a wonderfully made movie, yeah. and, and I cried at the end of it. So Yes. I've seen that movie. I found it very grim, I have to say. <laughs> um, very sad. I remember it well. Um, but also my very favourite film of all time is Blade Runner, and I've got the original I've I've seen the excerpts on YouTube, the things that the outtakes. Uh, it's just the most right. amazing movie because I'm a bit of a, a doomsayer, and um, it just falls right into my dystopian future um, favorite <laughs> sci-fi category. Um, just a matter of interest, um, Professor. In November, the Hamer Hall is doing a, a filming of Blade Runner with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra live. Oh, sounds so, wonderful. And you've got yeah. to book the tickets on the 8th of August, so I think you'd love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to persuade my husband that we're going, so he's sick <laughs> of Blade Runner. <laughs> um, look, on a more serious note, first of all, what exactly is epidemiology? Well, it comes from the, the Greek, and uh, epi means about. So anything beginning with epi means it's about something. Um, demos means the people, like, like uh, in, in democracy. So you've got the epidemos, then the ology means the study of. Anything ending in ology means it's the study of. So it's, so it's literal translation. It means the study of people. Yes. But, of course, these days um, demography and sociology are probably more like the study of people. And, in fact, epidemiology has now really been taken as the, the study of diseases in people. Yes. As opposed to medicine, which is the study of diseases in an individual. So epidemiology is basically study diseases in populations. Right. And that means who gets the disease, what causes the disease, how do you treat it, how do you prevent it, how do you control it. It includes things like screening for diseases, clinical trials. So it's it's very broad. Yes. And, and originally, it was all infectious diseases. I'm talking about 200 years ago. You know, it, it was your cholera, you know, your et cetera, um, that that epidemiologists were looking at but then it moved on to the chronic diseases like heart disease etc and now it's gone full swing and now we've got probably more focus now on infectious diseases, diseases. mainly because of COVID-19 yeah but also epidemiologists look at things like um, the social determinants of health in other words the relationship between things like poverty and poor health outcomes yes and and also they look at mental health issues as well so it's very very broad yes now, this isn't um, wasn't one of my scripted questions, but did you see this um, pandemic coming? Yes, absolutely. In fact, yeah. um, a, a few years ago, I was actually teaching epidemiology, and um, I was telling my students that we were long overdue for a major pandemic. We we had, you know, uh, MERS. I don't remember that. The Middle Eastern Respiratory yes. Syndrome. Yeah. We had the original SARS, yes. but they didn't really take off. And we start, we're starting to get pandemics, you know, every like seven or eight years now. And, yes. and we just didn't have one. And yes. I was telling them, we're due for one. Yes. So it didn't really surprise me at all when, when this hit us. Yeah. The, uh, interestingly, as a doomsayer, it didn't uh, surprise me because I've had got a little bit of background in infection control in my nursing career. And one of my favourite books is by Laurie Garrett, um, The Coming Plague. And another one is... The Great Influenza by John Barry. They're two of my favourite books, so you can see why, possibly, why I suffer from depression. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, 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 the, and the other thing is that that 
what we're seeing now is we're seeing climate change. So that yes. means that um, uh, insects and so on that, that like like um, uh, sorry mosquitoes, for example, that carry malaria and other diseases. We've got bats and so on are all being impacted by climate change, moving where they're living. Um, so we've got things like even in Australia, we've got things like um, tropical diseases now spreading out more because of climate change. That's right. Uh, on top of that, we've got destruction of the uh, forests in the Amazon, for example. And that brings those animals living in those trees closer to man. And then we've got massive intensive farming in places like China where they breed pigs along with ducks. Yes. And both both the pigs can get swine flu, the ducks can get avian flu, humans have yeah. got human flu, and that all gets mixed together and we get brand new types of flu coming out every two or three years. That's so that's why, again, why I wasn't really uh, surprised when, when this new pandemic came along and we will have further pandemics. Yes, because we're still overdue an influenza pandemic, uh, according to like the big one of 1918. Um, also, just to add to that, you'd be aware that the permafrost that's um, melting is now, goodness knows what's coming out of that that's been stored in the in the permafrost. That's, that's correct. So they've actually found, you know, some of the viruses that are 200,000 years old are still viable. Yes. Which, you know, it's, it's a bit of a concern. Look, we're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't say um, we're doomed. No, I wouldn't say no. we're doomed. Um, look, just with regard to long COVID, most of us know the symptoms of COVID-19. Many people have had it. But what has to happen time-wise before a person is diagnosed as suffering with long COVID? Yeah. So, uh, by the way, we tend not to use the word suffering these days. Okay. It's, um, a bit derogatory. We're experiencing right. is, a much, is a much better word to use. Yes. yes. Okay. Sorry. Maybe that's all right. No, that's here. okay. That's okay. Uh, so, so. Basically, um, if you've had if you've had COVID, and of course many of us, uh, I certainly haven't had COVID yet, but a lot of people uh, get get COVID, but it's asymptomatic, so they never know they've got it because they don't have any symptoms. But nonetheless, if you have had COVID nineteen or you've been diagnosed with it, and three months after your diagnosis you've still got symptoms which last for at least two months and can't be explained by anything else, that's WHO's definition. Right, longer than three months. And la- and lasting for two years. Oh, yes. Sorry, say that again. Longer than three months and lasting for at least two months. Two. Yes. Um, how does long COVID impact the cardiovascular system? Because that seems to be a key yeah. area. Look, it can, it, look, one of the biggest ways is by inflammation. So the body's response to sort of strange organisms attacking it yeah is by having inflammation and that, and that makes the blood flow faster and therefore gets your sort of um, antibodies more quickly to the site of the uh, attack. So inflammation is actually your body's, one of your body's defense mechanisms. But of course, it can also cause major issues. So um, one of the problems is that you get inflammation in the heart muscle or the outer lining of the heart. So these are called uh, myocarditis and pericarditis. And that's caused by, as I said, the body's response to the infection. And and the virus itself can also cause what you call microclots, so tiny little clots, and they clog up your arteries, and that can also cause heart problems. So uh, And also people can get abnormal heart rhythms. They can get blood clots in their legs and, and lungs. So all sorts of ways that the heart can be affected by the virus. 
And are people sometimes having long-term heart impacts with long COVID? Some people basically have to give up work. Oh, dear, yeah. And, uh, yes, it, it can be very nasty. Mm. So, so although, although we're getting 10% of infected people ending up with long-term health problems, so 90% aren't, so that's the good news, we look yes. at it that way around. But those 10%, many of them will recover after a year, but some won't. Now, I don't, yes. we haven't got a handle on the exact number. Yes. But there will be quite a few who have got permanent damage. And, yes. of course, there's huge implications here for uh, health insurance, for can they get onto NDIS, because none of that's clear at the moment. Yeah. Um, obviously, cardiovascular system is a, a system that has a huge impact. But um, how does long COVID impact, for example, the neuro- I'll go through them bit by bit, the neurological system? Look, long COVID, well, COVID itself, the virus can attack just about any part of the body. Yes. So it can attack the nerves, it can attack the linings of the arteries, it can attack the brain. Okay, so now we don't know. Research into long COVID is just in its infancy. In fact, it was just announced um, just in the last two or three days, the National Institutes of Health, who are the major funding body in the U.S., just starting a massive program into the treatment of long COVID. Um, this assumes that we know what treatments to use, which we don't at the moment. Yes. So, so for example, one of the um, one of the major symptoms of long COVID, which many people get, is what we call brain fog, and that's the inability to think properly, basically. Um, and uh, we really don't know how to treat it. Um, so, one of the things they're going to be trying is antivirals, Paxlovid in particular which is just an antiviral drug they give to people with, uh, who, who are very vulnerable. Okay, so if you've caught COVID-19 and you're over 65 or you've got other health conditions, your doctor will give you one of these antivirals. Uh, the main one they use is Paxlovid, and that's the one they're trying out against brain fog as in one of their trials in National Institute for Health. But as to why these things are happening, we really don't know. So with regard to brain fog, Professor on an MRI, are the changes that are visible? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, uh, but they, they could be. I'm sorry, I'm not an expert in that area, so you'd yeah. have to ask a neurologist on that one. Yes, okay. Um, are there any particular impacts uh, or common ones on the digestive system? I know it affects every system. Yeah, but... there's a lot of people who end up with major bowel problems. Um, things, well, these are ser- these are serious uh, issues. But look, um, a large American study recently looked at hundreds of thousands of people who've had COVID and followed them up and uh, looked at what symptoms they had when they got long COVID. And there was something like more than 37 different symptoms that they examined, of which they broke into 12 groups. And these 12 groups were feeling quite unwell after exercise, uh, tiredness, brain fog, uh, dizziness, uh, bowel symptoms, uh, heart palpitations, changes in sex drive. And that means either, you know, that, that means uh, reduced libido, um, uh, difficulty in getting an erection, uh, change in smell or taste, thirst, chronic cough, chest pain, and abnormal movements. So those are the 12 major symptom groups they put together. Abnormal but, but, movements. I haven't heard that one before. Yep, yeah. yep. This sort of Parkinson type. Right. You know, was. So, so these were the 12 sort of groups of symptoms that, that were most common in people with long COVID. Yeah. And, of course, part of that, as I said, is, is brain fog, uh, uh, problems thinking. 
And also anxiety, depression are quite common as well, which is not really surprising if you're feeling no. physically unwell that you end up with anxiety and depression on top of everything else. That's right. So it could be um, a direct result of um, the symptoms, but could it also be to cha- due to changes in gut bacteria and things like that? Absolutely, absolutely it can, because we, what we do know is that um, many of these symptoms are directly related to, um, it's not just gut bacteria, but you've got, bac- you've got bacteria you know, in your lungs, you've got bacteria in your throat, um, you've got bacteria in your vagina. So it's not just the it's not not just the bacteria in your gut that's um, impacted. It's it's just about many other parts of the body as well. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I, I was going to ask about the musculoskeletal system, but you we've we've covered that really, and that really does interest me. That Parkinson's type um, symptoms with some people. Very. Yeah, I hadn't heard concerning. that before until I saw this um, article. Yes. So we've we've just discussed um, mental health impacts, but well, there are others as well. For example, um, there's been mood changes have been noted, uh, brain fog, as I said, and, and oh, importantly, uh, poor sleep. Yes, so poor sleep can affect every part of your system. That's correct. Yeah, and I've I've just put a question here about reproductive health. Um, do you feel that it's um, is there any evidence for altering sperm counts or anything like that? Not that I'm not that I'm. Uh, 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 we're talking about long COVID. Long now. COVID, yes. Um, there is some evidence that um, those who've um, been infected uh, have uh, lower sperm count. Yes, yeah. but that's about the initial infection, not so much about long COVID. Okay. But so so there is that relationship. Yes. Remember, I said it can also impact on erectile dysfunction as well. Yes. Um, but so, I, I, I can recall seeing a paper which, which looked at sperm count and showed it was lowered in men who'd been infected. Right. And I wonder, um, probably it's early days, how long that will last for, whether it ever picks back up. But As I said, these are very early days in terms yes. of non-COVID research. There's almost been none. I mean, there's been a yeah. few thousand papers published, but in reality, that's nothing. Yes. You know, when you look at the thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, people who, who have long-term health problems because of it. Yeah, but just with regard to erectile dysfunction, low libido and low sperm counts, that in itself could have a, a societal impact, couldn't it, in the long term as far as birth rates, demography, that sort of thing? It, it could, but, you know, our government has, has basically given up caring about this and, and is telling everyone that it's over, it's just another respiratory disease, stop worrying about it, get on with your life. Yeah. And, and yet, this is a mass disabling event. It is. It, um, you know, if ten if ten percent of infected people end up with long term health problems, we've had twelve million diagnosed cases so far. Twelve million. So you're looking at at least a million people with long term health problems in Australia. That's huge. It's enormous. And yet, the government doesn't care. It really is disappointing. I have to say, I'm bitterly disappointed about. Um, the attitude of mainstream media and both sides of government, it's, it's beyond comprehension to me, Professor. Well, I think they, they're giving undue emphasis to business. Yes. They just want to make sure the economy is running and, and it doesn't really matter if there's um, all these people who end up being sick. You know, there was a recent, um, uh, what is called an insight paper in the Medical Journal of Australia. And basically what they said was Australian population is now split into two. 
there's the majority of Australians who don't care anymore. They don't protect themselves. They don't wear masks. They're not interested in getting booster shots. They go about their lives as normal. And by and large, they don't get very sick, although some do. But then you've got the minority who are vulnerable. Either they're elderly, so their immune system isn't crash up, or they've got underlying health conditions like diabetes, or they're obese, or mental health issues would be another one. Okay, This is the vulnerable group. And what this paper says is that they've basically been left to their own devices. They've got to look after themselves Mm -hmm. and protect themselves. And here's the trouble. Many of them don't know how. I mean, the vast majority of those vulnerable people would have would, would basically um, have low health literacy. Mm-hmm. So who's actually telling these people how to protect themselves? What face masks to wear? When should they get a booster shot? No yeah. one's telling them. There's very fact, little public information out there. Very little. Virtually none. In, in fact, really, the only ones who can do this are GPs. Yes. And that, that's why I go around the country talking to GPs. Um, I, I, for example, I was in um, uh, Sydney uh, a, a couple of weekends ago talking to 1,800 GPs yes. and, and explaining to them that they're really the only ones who can help their patients. Yes, yes absolutely. Um, just where we haven't got a lot of time left, so um, is there a particular age group that is um, – developing long COVID more than any other? Yeah, so the risk factors that we know about anyway, first of all, there's been a very recent discovery of genetic risk factor. Yes. So it's called a FOX gene, and those who have it, you know, are are, are far less likely to have long COVID. Um, Being female, and in particular being an older female, is a very high risk. I'm sorry to tell you. I haven't had it. I have not had it because I take immense precautions. I've yeah, had it so, in my house and I avoided it. So, so, so obesity, smoking, yeah. uh, having an underlying medical condition like diabetes. Um, if you've had COVID before and been hospitalized for it, that's a big risk factor for long COVID. And very importantly, having multiple COVID infections. So the more times you get infected with COVID-19, the greater your chance of getting long COVID. Oh, dear. That's not I good, is it? It's not. Um, look, if someone thinks they or a dependent or loved one has long COVID, what should they do and what should they expect regarding tests, treatment and lifestyle advice? There are virtually no tests available. Um, the, the, their first port of call should be their GP. Okay. And, and just being aware that the GP can't do much about it. I mean, what can you do with a patient who comes to you and, and says, I've got brain fog? Yeah. You know, so it's very, very difficult for the GPs. Now, we do have long COVID clinics in most in most cities. Um, I'm sure that there's at least two or three, if not more, in Melbourne, for example. Yes. The trouble is that there's probably like a year waiting list to get into them. Wow. So, so really and truly, not much you can do. When you get very tired, rest, pace yourself, okay? Yes. Um, just just tell, let your body tell you what it can and can't do. Yes. But, 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 by, uh, but you know, if you've got blood clots or things like that you've got to be seen to yes you know so if you've got something urgent like you can't breathe properly straight to the ed yeah if it's brain fog see your gp and hopefully your gp can refer you to 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 a long covid clinic but even even long covid clinics don't have good treatments because we don't have any because we're not really sure what causes all these things yeah so it's very difficult at the moment yeah in terms of um how do you prevent getting it well clearly the very first thing to do 
is not to get COVID in the first place. Absolutely. Okay, if you haven't had COVID, you won't get long COVID. Yes. Um, the second thing is that vaccines work against long COVID. Be up to date with your vaccinations and you have far less chance of getting long COVID. Yes. And then if you do get COVID and you're in the population group that's allowed to have antivirals, antivirals also reduce your chance of long COVID. Right. So that's important as well. Now, many of your um, people who listen to you would be in that vulnerable group. And, you know, the most important things for them is to, A, avoid getting COVID in the first place or getting reinfected. And that means if you're going to somewhere like a supermarket or somewhere where there's a lot of strangers, wear a good quality face mask. And I'm talking about an N95 mask. That's right. Okay? A surgical mask won't cut it, okay? Although it, it does give you some protection, it's not not really sufficient yes. and should really be wearing an N95 mask. They're not that expensive these days and all chemist shops sell them. Yes. The second second thing is if your last vaccination was more than six months ago, get yourself a booster shot as soon as possible. Now, just be aware that um, we have new boosters coming out at the end of the year. Right. And these are targeted at the current uh, subvariants that are circulating now. Okay, yes. so even though the current uh, vaccines that are available are still good, the ones coming out of the NGA will be better because they're still more recent. Yes. Brilliant. Look, Professor, um, I'm aware that you do undertake a lot of spe speaking engagement. So how can an individual or an organisation best contact you? And also, what is your Twitter handle? Twitter handle is Profestaman, P-R-O-F-E-S-T-E-R-M-A-N. And, you know, it's difficult for me because I do, you get a lot of people contacting me, and I, obviously, it's, it, it would, I'd be spending all day, 200 hours a day, trying to respond to everybody. But nonetheless, if, if someone really do, does have some urgent questions, they can um, follow me on Twitter and ask a question on Twitter, and I'll try and answer them if I can. That's yes. probably the best way. Organizations can do a direct Twitter message to me, and I, I can respond to them. Yes, thank you ever so much, and thank you for responding to our us as we reached out. I've followed your work, and you. Um, share a lot of really relevant information on Twitter, which I'm very grateful for. Well, it's been an absolute pri privilege to have you on the show, Professor Esterman, and we're sure your knowledge will assist many of our listeners. And we also have professional people listen to our show as well. I wish you continued success and look forward, as always, to your informative tweets. And as we all say nowadays, stay safe. Thank you, Susie and Professor Adrian Esterman for uh, coming on the show today and talking about uh, long COVID and all things COVID. Um, if you'd like to listen to other shows similar to today, you can find more of our shows on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au or on Spotify or wherever you happen to download your 3CR podcast. Uh, if you have a story to share, if there's anything you'd like to send us for feedback or suggestions for future shows, we'd love it if you could send us an email at brainwaves at wellways.org. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Please stay safe, as Susie said, and we'll be back next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.